It is time for another Amateurs Fantasy Sports Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the NRL Fantasy Amateurs Podcast. It's Mark here with Ryan, but... um, Guys, for tonight's episode or today's episode, depending on when you're listening to this, it's a it's a little bit of a special one, and we've got a, a guest on, which is something a bit unusual. And it's a guest that you're probably mostly all familiar with. It's Brian, aka the NRL Physio, mate. How are you tonight, guys? Good. Uh, just starting to get into the swing of things of NRL stuff. I actually kind of you know sat down, or oh, it would have been mid this week, and started doing up my sort of prep for the season. So. You know, just getting over that cricket, you know, cricket hump. I, I do enjoy the tennis, so watching a bit of tennis. But, yeah, just starting to get into the into the footy, which is good fun. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, and Ryan, I'd ask you how you are, but I don't care. So, mate, we'll... Uh... <laughs> I'm good, by the way. <laughs> we'll, uh... Yeah, no, that's good, mate. I'm glad to hear it. All right. So, before we started, uh, Brian, why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing? Uh, I understand you've, uh, you, you know, you started up a, a Patreon uh, just recently. So, mate, what exactly? What's what's the offer? What are the the listeners going to get? Is it available? When's it going to become available? How are they going to find out? Tell us about it. Yeah, yeah, sweet. Thanks for mentioning that. Look, like you know, I think a bit like you guys, like you know, you, you've been growing you know, week by week and year by year and stuff like that. And sort of for me, I started this all out as a bit of a hobby and just to sort of muck around with another physio mate. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of gone from strength to strength. And I think last year kind of hit its crescendo where like probably the first couple of years I tried to stay on top of, you know, any questions that were asked or, you know, and, you know, DMs and stuff like messages asking questions i was usually pretty good with that but yeah just just with the the amount that it's grown which is awesome uh but yeah now and i've got i'm in a different sort of place in in my life in terms of uh you know when i first started out i didn't have any kids uh you know only just bought a house so was sort of laying low but now two kids and full-on family life business life all that kind of stuff so just a bit less time so I last year I decided to start up a bit of a patreon not that I'm looking to make a million gazillion dollars out of this because I don't think there is a million gazillion dollars in it Uh, but it's just more so it allows me and and you know the whole happy wife happy life um, you know being able to actually put aside some time uh, to sort of go through the, I guess, the stuff outside of, you know, everyone will have seen my posts that say, you know, so-and-so has a hamstring strain and they might likely be out for two to four weeks. But it's the stuff outside of that, which I didn't, you know, know if there would be much of an appetite for, but it seems there definitely is. And it, it mainly revolves around and, and exactly what we're going to talk about tonight, like the fantasy super coach implications of different injuries. So re-injury risk, you know, performance on return, you know, is somebody going to be affected by an injury more so than another guy and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I run through every week, I cover pretty much all the injuries. Uh, you've got the best casualty ward going around. So not those generic ones that you see on Fox and NRL.com, which is just, you know, really wide ranges listed um, with not much, you know, detail at all. I'll have analysis on every injured player in the casualty ward. I do weekly wrap ups, so little sort of audio or video things at the end of every week. And then the big thing sort of leading into this season is um, at the start of next month, so February, I'm, I'm right into it at the moment, doing up injury profiles on over 200 players leading into the season. So that'll be sort of an injury wrap, 
about you know every player that I can think that injuries are relevant for running through you know what their implications are heading into the season can you feel good about picking them in your team or should you stay away from them because of injury um, injury details and uh, yeah so that'll be available so it's patreon.com slash NRL physio uh, that's a really long-winded answer for a very simple question but uh, yeah if, if you guys go on and check it out I put a free read up today um, summarizing Jaden Braley's injury which will give you guys a taste of the kind of content that will be available on there it's not that expensive it's only five bucks a month and you know if you do that for the three or four months that footy's on it'll only cost you 15 20 bucks so I think um, yeah it should be a good investment for you all Cool. All right. I was, I was hoping you're going to give us more of an explanation than that, but I'm, I think that'll do. So, <laughs> yeah. I, but, as I uh, said, I like to waffle. <laughs> that, that's all right, mate. And I, I do want to let you know uh, before we, uh, I know we sort of were speaking privately. We've been sort of chatting for a while here, and and I I know I I said to you when I was getting you onto the podcast, it was I was you know getting you on to talk about NRL players, but in fact, what I'm really just hoping for is you'll spend ten or fifteen minutes talking to me about uh, my ACL injury and oh. my rehab. I don't actually want to ask you any questions about that. Yeah, which is, which is every, every DM that I get these days is because it's off-season, so it's just, hey, yeah. what can I do for my rehab, blah, 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 yeah. and I'm just... I've got a sore leg. What do you think's yeah, wrong? Yeah, far out. It's yeah. good fun. Free consultation. Yep. Yeah. No, exactly. the good news is for you, mate, I know exactly what's wrong with me, and, and, and it's not just my knee, but... <laughs> we'll leave we'll leave that for another time. So, mate. Anyway, uh, we might jump straight into it and bringing up ACL injuries. I think maybe that's a good place to start. So, obviously, there's there was a few last year, the key ones, um, and I guess we'll run through the list here. And you can tell me uh, if there's any of these players that you would be particularly worried about for this season. So we got Luke Keary, Cameron McInnes, Lindsay Collins, Pat Carrigan, and then obviously Katoni Staggs did one, but then sort of I think he came back and then had an injury late season. So, I mean, any of those positionally, play style-wise, you know, lateness of the injury, does that worry? Any of those players worry you in terms of a a purchase? There's a couple of other ACLs, but obviously they're mid-season returns, so we'll cover them separately. Yeah, so I think like across the board, like when you're looking at ACL injuries, you're looking at a few different things and you kind of touched on them and it's when the injury occurred is a big one because if it happens early in the year, um, that bodes a bit better for the player because what they're going to do, and like we can talk about Cameron McInnes as a perfect example. So he suffered his, in oh, it would, would have been like late January, early February last year. So if you extrapolate that out and sort of go eight or nine months after that, which is usually, you know, a pretty comprehensive rehab for an NRL player for an ACL injury. Like a lot of guys are usually returning to play in that period of time. Cameron McInnes at eight or nine months is hitting the start of preseason. Uh, the ACL guys that I have concerns with are the ones who suffer a mid to late season and spend most of their preseason in rehab, right? So they're using their time to actually get back up to scratch. So it means when they hit, you know, like round one, they've kind of spent most of that time where everybody else has spent, you know, running sand dunes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And as much as it sucks, that's about honing performance, right? Whereas these guys who suffer it late in the season, they've spent it just getting back to, you know, I guess getting back to normal as such. 
through their rehab. So someone like Cam McInnes, it's it's really, really positive for him because he would have spent the whole off-season honing his performance. So my general rule, which is, uh, you know, players are usually not back to their best to the second season after an ACL injury. It's not going to apply as much to Cam McInnes as it is to some of the other guys who suffered it later in the season, like Adam Dewey and those kind of guys, because he's had, you know, that whole off-season to get right. Um, then you look at playing style. So someone like Luke Keary, who relies on, you know, explosive change of direction, you know, busting through holes, that kind of thing with his running game, he's going to take a little bit longer usually to get up to scratch. So I wouldn't be surprised sort of seeing him take a more creative role earlier in the season where he's sort of dishing the ball off. So it might not affect his scoring all that much, but he might just be a different kind of player early on in that season as he warms into it. Uh, the likes of Lindsay Collins and that kind of thing, like your middle forwards, Pat Carrigan, that you get a little drop. I think I, uh, I'm doing some stuff up at the moment looking at different ACLs, and I think those middle forwards drop off around 10 to 15% in their scoring historically. That's for fantasy scoring in the in the season after their ACL injury, uh, but then usually it's it's back after that. Um, so not as big a drop as some of the outside backs have seen in the past. So those middle forwards, you probably don't have to, um, you know, be hugely concerned about. But I still wouldn't be thinking that, you know, Lindsay Collins is a lock to, you know, uh, like absolutely kill his average from last year uh, because he's going to take a little bit of time to sort of get, uh, get back over that ACL injury. Cool. All right. So I guess what we're looking at there from a fantasy perspective, and, and Ryan, you tell me if you heard the same thing that I heard, is, you know, we actually spoke about Kiri as a potential option more for giraffe than for fantasy value-wise. Maybe he's somebody that you might, if you're tossing up between Kiri and, and somebody else that you had a similar projection on, you might just go with the other guy that wasn't coming off the ACL just to be safe. Is is that what you're sort of hearing? And Yeah. And also it it's kind of gives me a little bit, little bit more confidence around, um, you know, like I say, like a guy like you and Aiken or Josh Curran in terms of their fantasy value, like given that Tohu Harris is coming off one of those you know, mid-season ACLs, um, you know, that's uh, everything sort of points in the wrong direction there, given the drop-off and the mid-season return where he's not going to have that full preseason. So, um, but yeah, I think you're right as well with like, say, a Kiri, maybe you'd opt for a Toby Sexton over over a Luke Kiri or something like that. Yeah, more of a line, like, you know, if you were trying to split two players, you might you might use that as the mm. the guide. But I mean, Ryan, you've done a really good job there of, of segueing the ACL injuries into Tohu Harris and Adam Dewey, who are our mid-season returners, are significant for fantasy. Would you, and I mean, what we're really asking you to do here, Physio, is, is get inside the mind of uh, the coach of the New Zealand Warriors, say with Toru Harris, and say, okay, you know, is it possible that they would just bring him back via a 60-minute role? Or, you know, from what we've seen, a guy like Toru, he's comfortably able to play 80 minutes normally. Do you think he they wouldn't sort of bother bringing him back until he's 100% ready to go? And the minutes will be there. It might just be the performance that's lacking. I mean, what's your thoughts around that? And uh, keeping in mind, it's just a guess. Yeah, and that's like effectively what you're talking about there is is exactly the toss-up that they will have, is that you can... The balance with bringing these guys back is the longer you leave it, the better the performance is going to be. So not in an ACL example, but an Achilles example, Sean Johnson. So Sean Johnson came back for... Sorry, 
he came back from an Achilles last year, not an ACL. And he left it in probably an extra month or so in his return. And he came back and, and statistically kind of performed pretty much exactly the same as he had the previous year. Um, whereas, like, yeah, in, in these kind of cases, they tend to get guys back pretty quickly. Like... Tohu came out and said, "Oh, I'm gonna like you know, I'm gonna wait till nine months to return." And I just would be absolutely shocked if they waited till nine months to get him back. The average is about seven and a half months, and very rarely is it over eight, especially for sort of those first time ACLs, which is what Tohu is. Um, so I'd say he's actually probably going to be back a lot sooner than, you know, a lot of people are talking about mid-season for him. And I think you'll definitely sort of see him in the first four to six rounds. Uh, But in terms of his performance, yeah, there's more than likely going to be that softening up period. I think a lot of guys are going to come back a bit sooner than that nine-month period, but they're probably not going to be quite at 100%. Very, very rarely do we see a guy come back from an ACL to their full workload. So if you're talking about Tohu, you know, that 80-minute roll or something like that, it would be very surprising to sort of see him hit those heights straight away. The big thing with Dewey, um, which we need to touch on, is the fact that that's his second ACL injury. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the stats tell us that... So after two ACL injuries, there's a roundabout, and and look, there's not a lot of data points here. You're talking studies of, you know, a couple of hundred athletes, but effectively 30, up to 30% of athletes who've suffered a second ACL injury will actually suffer a third as well, which is a huge number, right? That's one in three. Uh, So I would not be surprised, like the, you know, the talk out of the Tigers, I've heard a bit of chat that he's aiming for like a round three return. And while theoretically, once again, that's around that seven, seven and a half month, which would be theoretically possible, Like I just, my gut, and as you said, once again, we're trying to look into the brains of the coaches and the performance staff and stuff like that. Considering the risks of that third ACL injury, it wouldn't shock me if they kind of put him on the burner for a little bit longer just to make sure he rehabs it that little bit more to reduce the risk of re-injury moving forward. Okay. And and before I come back and and, and blow your trumpet on, on how much useful information that was in five minutes there... The uh, the other thing I want to ask with Dewey is, in your opinion, is there a significant difference between putting him in the halves and putting him in the centers in terms of coming back from the ACL? The biggest thing there is familiarity to the position. I think it's more mental, comfortable, like his comfort levels and anything. Um, I was always really, really confused to segue to another example of Jack Bird when he was coming back from an ACL injury a couple of seasons ago. And the Broncos were talking about putting him at fullback, uh, a position that he'd never played in first grade, uh, like with heaps of running, you know, change of direction, jumping, landing, that kind of thing. You've got a guy coming off an ACL and you're going to throw him in to fullback, like a a position he's never played before. He's not, you know, his instincts aren't at their best in that position. So in terms of approaching it, you know, halves and centers probably not all that different. Like they defend relatively close together. You know, Dewey, the style of play, he's probably going to play relatively similar whether he's in the halves or in at center. 
but I think it's more, you know, what is he more comfortable with? And and from my sort of observations, I'd say, and I've heard a bit, you know, a few interviews with him and stuff, he seems more comfortable in the halves at 5'8". Um, so I think you, you'd probably prefer, if you saw him named at 5'8", I'd feel better about that than in the centres. Mm. All right. So the reason why I'm asking, and I'm, I'm getting a bit of like, interesting information here so circling back to the Warriors is obviously Ryan and I have been pretty heavily looking at Ewan Aitken here and and his interview that he did more recently saying that he's going to be playing predominantly in the back row because he's able to get through 80 minutes but he said start the year in the back row and that was the the quote I wonder if maybe it's uh I'm playing the first three or four weeks in the back row and then I'm going to go back to the centers when Toru comes back and even if his performance is down it sounds to me like they're not going to put him in until he's going to play 80 even if he's not as explosive which would be a real kick in the gonads to you and Aiken so that's something that you know previously we were feeling pretty comfortable about Aiken having some fairly heavy long-term value Ryan but do those comments make you less bullish on Aiken yeah, a little bit. Um, it, it's, it's got to. It's definitely got to come into your mind. Um, it, it, I guess it also depends where Tohu comes back. Like you know, the physio was talking about position, positional familiarity. So maybe you know they stick him in the middle, let him play where he doesn't have to play eighty minutes because um, you know he's probably not going to have that fitness coming back straight away. Like you could move Bailey Sirinen back to back to the bench. So I mean, like, I don't think there's uh, panic stations there. But no, you're definitely right. It uh, definitely um, you know makes you want to second guess it a little bit. I think. Yeah, and then the other, uh, the obvious other impact is the the cash cow potential center at the Tigers. Uh, if it is, and and I mean this might change in the next couple of days, as we actually picked a really good day to do this with the Jaden Bradley injury. But um, the if the Knights end up getting Luke Brooks and Dewey's in the halves. Uh, and they just got to play somebody else in the halves for a couple of games. But we might not actually get the news that. You know, the Knights have got Luke Brooks until week three when they're comfortable Dewey's back or whatever. Or, but, you know, if, if Dewey's going to be back early and in the centres uh, and they don't get Brooks potentially just because that's their best 13 players and they're just finding them a jersey, then perhaps that's going to be a, a big trouble for that potential cash cow in the centres at the Tigers. So, so another one just to keep an eye on, and that's why I'm sort of I'm, – I'm really glad that we've got you here to sort of go through this because obviously I don't know if you've noticed, but you're more of an expert on injuries than Ryan and I are. So it's been <laughs> – it's already <laughs> worth its weight in gold having you, mate. So no, Happy mate, to be here, boys. Move, good. <laughs> we might move off the ACL injuries uh, and change your pace a little bit, but I want to stay with the knees. So different sort of knee injury. Jared Croker, obviously, he's had some sort of surgery. Um, and and my technical analysis of it is he's got a bung knee. Mm, uh, that's actually like, quite you know, accurate. What your dad tells you, he's sitting at a barbecue, oh, I've got a bung knee. The rain's coming. I can feel it in my bones. What exactly is, is wrong with his knee? Do we think there's a chance there's going to be a medical retirement this year? Is he even going to play? What's the go? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so effectively, you're not wrong in that he's looking at degeneration in his knee, which your old man, you know, if he says he's got a bung knee, probably has something similar as well. It's just that obviously in NRL players, these kind of things have accelerated because of the amount of, you know, forces and trauma that they go through in their day-to-day jobs. Uh, So he's had cartilage degeneration in his knee. He's had some stem cell injections to sort of try and settle that down. And and, then they were termed a a make or break for him before Christmas, I think. And then he was going to start running into the new year. Look, I I wish I could 
kind of give you a bit of an inkling as to as to where this would go. But the, the best word I'd use to describe Jared Croker's situation is it, it's extremely volatile. So it could go anywhere like uh, the the biggest thing i would say is that I, I i certainly wouldn't be seeing jared croker as like going to have a career year this year that just doesn't happen once we start getting to these kind of places you know we've had boyd cordner we've had josh dugan go through similar things and and once they sort of start hitting those heights andrew for feeder and reason uh, recent seasons is another one as well so all I can guarantee... Oh, we won't have any Fafita slander on this podcast. Or this is a pro-Fafita <laughs> podcast. Oh, look, I love Fafita, but he ever since he got those stem cells in his knees, he just wasn't, you know, he wasn't that Andrew Fafita that we always, you know, used to watch and, and killing it and stuff like that. So, yeah, with Croker, look, he very well could retire. I'd be very, very surprised if they term it a medical retirement purely because the way that they've you know, worded it is it's supposed to be because of one incident, um, one, you know, traumatic incident that, that has caused it. But this sounds like more of a, you know, accumulation over time, like mm. a wear and tear kind of injury. Uh, but yeah, it, it literally could go anywhere. He could, you know, kind of just potter around for, for the year and be half average. He could, you know, be kind of solid or he could need to retire. It's kind of any of those things are on the table. Yeah, it sounds to me like it's probably up to the Raiders, and and I'm I'm kind of hoping that Croker, um, as a person that saw Thurston play one year too long, I kind of want him to just you know go out the right way as well, and not you know spend half the year being poor for the Raiders and then making that decision and and kind of ruining their their chances because they do have a lot of good options there. But I, I mean, obviously, you know, Croker, he's he's a club legend, he's the captain, you know, you, and he's the the point scoring. Whole record holder for the Raiders, I believe. So obviously, you want to see him go out on his terms. But you know, there's the hard. It must be hard being an athlete from a psychological point of view to to know when to hang the boots up. Do you do you have much of a, an insight into to that side of things with the the psychological sort of side of stuff, or is that something that you guys really study as physios, or not really? Yeah, hundred percent. Like like the psych side of things is, I think, an underappreciated part of you know, I guess injury rehab and stuff like that. Like, especially, you know, when we start to talk about concussion and and those kind of things, like looking at Pappenhausen last year, coming back from those kind of things. Like, it's it, it's part of a physio's job and, and the rehab performance medical team to make sure that guys get their minds, you know, right as well. Because if you can have all the physical capabilities in the world, but if your headspace isn't in the right area to get out there and, you know, play sport, whatever sport it is, or, you know, um, whether it be professional, amateur, whatever, um, you're not, like, as I said, you can you can get the physical side of things all fine-tuned, but it just doesn't matter if the head's not in the right place. So that's a, a big part of the rehab is actually you might be performing a physical exercise, but the, the I guess, a byproduct of that is having the person become more confident in their knee or their ankle or whatever it is so that when they run out on the field, they're not second-guessing it because when they second-guess it, that's when they're going to injure it again. Um, so, mm. you know, in Croker's case, you, you like that would be a massive thing that the, the medical team and performance team would be working on is is making sure that his mindset is I'm comfortable running out here and playing that knees, you know, like I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it, that kind of thing. Because if he's not, like it only takes one or two percent in a game like footy. If you're one or two percent slow, 
it, that's it. Like you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you need every little piece working, you know, in your favor. Yeah. No, and I mean, we've seen Croker specifically, his performance drastically deteriorate along with that knee from a fantasy super coach point of view as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, mate, the reason why I bring up the psychological thing is I don't know if you, you I'm assuming you do remember because you follow NRL injuries closer than any person on the planet. But, <laughs> uh, mate, Josh Mansour a couple of years ago got his face absolutely smashed up uh, and, and spent a fair bit of time coming back from that and he had a couple of other injuries with the ac joint but the reason why i'm asking is is joseph manu went through a face injury last year which is obviously not the same as what happened to mansour but uh, obviously it was pretty you know heavy duty from my understanding do you think that there's a potential impact of a similar because obviously what we saw from mansour was a, a rapid decline into his into fantasy irrelevance following that injury you know do we think manu is going to be okay what's your thoughts on that yeah, look, like I think he'd have to be a rare case for it to happen because I actually think the the Mansour thing had more to do with the AC joint than it probably did the okay. face. Um, he, he suffered that AC joint pretty early in the the following season and then just tried to play through it for the entire season and, and pretty much admitted postseason that he needed, if not surgery, then you know six weeks off to look, sort of let it settle down. Um, but the the big thing with a lot of these guys is they think that they're twenty foot tall and bulletproof. So he, he it'd be a rare occurrence for um, a guy to sort of be put off with that kind of thing because I think with these high-level athletes, more often than not, you're having to put the handbrake on them rather than kick them up the arse and get them to do more. Um, so okay. I would say he should be fine. Uh, it'd just be whether, you know, behind closed doors, he's a bit of a quieter, you know, I, I guess you know, less self-confident kind of guy. Um, maybe he'll need, you know, that little bit of coaxing to sort of get back into the swing of things. But once again, he's had the whole off-season to sort of get that sorted. Um, so if there are any lingering doubts, I think, yeah, I don't think you need to worry about him too much. Oh, cool. Good stuff. All right, I've got three more types of injuries to speak to you about. Um, well, actually, I guess there's two more and then a, a bracket of players that I want to ask you about. So, yeah, cool. mate, the first one of those is, is Liz Frank injuries. Uh, while we're on the the, the leg, um, I guess we went back to the face for a little bit. But now we have here Billy Smith and Joseph Suwali for the Roosters, and also Raymond Faitala Mariner uh, for the, the the for the Bulldogs. Uh, but you uh, you corrected me and said in fra- in fact the the Faitala Mariner one isn't actually a Liz Frank; it's a a navicular fracture. Fracture. So what what's the difference between those two things? And, and, I mean, coming back for those three players, they're all very fantasy relevant. Uh, what what are your thoughts on, on the three of them? Any issues or, uh, yeah, forward thoughts for this year? Yeah, so, look, you're not, you know, it, you're literally talking the difference of two or three centimetres uh, between the two. So you're not too wrong. I, I guess the biggest thing is that if I was discussing them, which I'm about to with you guys, I would discuss them in different um, yeah, I, I guess different ways because the two injuries are quite different in terms of their, I guess, their prospects and, and their prognosis moving forward. So the Liz Frank, uh, more sort of down in the midfoot towards the toes. Look, it's it's a really, really underrated injury in terms of I think people kind of hear a foot injury, Liz Frank injury, and they don't really associate it. Like I, I would put it on the same level as like an ACL injury. Like, you know, I, like in medical circles, we all call it 
it the ACL of the foot. Um, so when you suffer these Liz Frank injuries, look, they might not, you know, require a six to nine month recovery period. So best case scenario, you can usually get guys back in around 10 to 12 weeks. Um, and But that can extend out. We've had NRL guys in the last couple of um, last couple of seasons even take 20 plus weeks and then not even able to return. So that's five plus months. And it's because that midfoot takes so much force. It's the arch of your foot. So every time you put that foot down, it takes so much force. So it is really, really tough to kind of rehab. So the biggest thing with Suwali and uh, Billy Smith is that, and not only you know does all that come into play, but there's actually evidence, there's studies that have been done, particularly in the NFL, on guys who've had Liz Frank injuries. Their first season back, they usually see a dip of about 10 to 20% in overall performance and if we had video you'd see me putting performance in you know air commas but effectively it's like their ability to make well over there it's yards score touchdowns you know make catches those kind of things players consistently coming back from Liz Frank injury dropped sort of 10 to 20 percent in their first season back so we we have seen I haven't tracked the stats I haven't had the time to sort of sit down and you know track tackle breaks and blah 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 for every bloke who's come back from Liz Frank injury but you would assume that there'd be a similar sort of effect in NRL players as well uh so it, it it's one of those ones I I wouldn't you know um, begrudge anyone and I'd, I'd probably encourage people unless Billy Smith and Suwali are you know mega mega cheap uh, like it's not a bad thing to sort of sit and wait and sort of see how they go it might even be a case of you know the Roosters have brought in Kevin Aguama and those kind of guys might be sort of looking to start the season with them and, and let Billy Smith and, and, and that kind of ease into the season a little bit more um, and then over to the navicular fracture this is a big one in terms of it's only a little bit further up towards the ankle but the the key with this bone um, and it's a bone in the foot is that it has a really really poor blood supply and so it's unfortunately it's and I don't talk about injuries like this very very often but there's actually no guarantee he returns from this injury it sounds really really simple you know a small fracture in a bone in his foot but the bone can literally not heal um, because of the lack of blood supply and it just gets to a point where you know he, he just can't run he can't perform the duties of an NRL player because there's too much pain the bone hasn't healed enough so it's about a 20% risk once it gets to the point where you need a bone graft which is what um, you know RFM is at that point uh, so the latest reports are that he has started running and it's it's be- been better than it has in the past because he's already had two surgeries on it already um, last year so it's it's looking like the prospects are good so far, but it is one that you're just going to have to follow week to week towards the season. He's not, and I love what Fatal Mariner brings. I, I'm one of his biggest fans, but he he's not someone I'd be sort of touching early on, just because of one we we talked about that word volatile before. It's just there's a wide range of outcomes that could happen here, so I don't like to take too many risks when there's that wider range. All right, that's fair enough. Because obviously we're we're looking at Fatala Mariner going if he's a starter. If he plays week one in the back row, would that be a good indication to you that that the Bulldogs are confident that that injury is not a problem? Yeah, correct. So if he's like named week one, then you'd have to assume that he's doing really, really well. Uh, the big thing is, is that even if he's doing really, really well, there is that risk that he re-aggravates it, you know, refractures it if it hasn't quite healed enough. But I think mm. at this point, 
the Bulldogs, the way they're talking about it, they would only put him out there if they're like a million percent confident that he's doing really, really well. So you're right you, like in saying that if it, I think if he's named in, in the back row, then you'd have to take some confidence out of that. But for me, I think there's enough doubt already for in my mind uh, that I'd st- it'd still only put him sort of level peggings like with another guy. You know, there'd be enough doubt, as you said, if you're trying to split the hairs between two guys who you value p- pretty similarly, I'd be going with the other guy just because of the, you know, doubt surrounding Fatal Mariner. Cool. Oh, wow. No worries. Yeah, that's good. Well, I guess that's that's that gives me a lot of confidence to know, like if you know, if we if he's definitely there one round one, that then that says a lot. Or if he's particularly if he's playing the trials, uh, I think we'd have a pretty good idea by then. But yeah, obviously, you know, like you say, any chance of reaggravation might be one where you just you know you look at a guy's you know your blows and nanis who are cheaper and and not take the risk there. So no, that's that's good information. So mate, um, before I get into the you know the. Uh, I guess I want to go through uh, the shoulder as the next one. So obviously we've had three key shoulder injuries over the off season being Reed Marnie, Cameron Murray and Nathan Cleary, obviously the big, you know, real num- new real number one, most expensive player in fantasy real record breaking season last year from Nathan Cleary. Uh, in your opinion, is he going to be ready for round one? And do you think the shoulder injury and, and ensuing surgery and rehab is going to have any impact on his performance? Uh, so I'd say if it's not round one, it's going to be round two or three, unless he suffers an aggravation in his rehab, which, you know, it can happen. I mean, it happened to Kalen Pong last year. He was doing pretty well and then had a little aggravation. It pushed him out. Uh, usually guys can return around that four and a half to five months from this, which is what uh, round one will be for Cleary. Uh, so, yeah, if it's not round one, it'll probably be round two or three. In terms of his performance, I have zero concerns whatsoever um you know the the re-injury rate for the kind of reconstruction that he had which i think actually all three of them had so we can talk about all three at once they all had a ladder shoulder reconstruction which sounds fancy but it's just because a french guy invented it um so <laughs> yeah the 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 recurrence rate is like two percent so very very low um minimal concerns and then especially for half uh, it's it's more of a, a factor for Murray and Marnie because they play in the middle of the field. They make lots of tackles. They're you know making plenty of hit ups, all that kind of stuff. But uh, like a perfect example, I think I, I went back. It's one of the first things I did. I went back and had a look at you know the three or four games that Cleary played. Um, and look, I'm uh, unfortunately you're going to curse me down here, but I looked at the super coach stats rather than the fantasy stats, but <laughs> he only, he only dropped off about 10% in the four games that he was playing with one shoulder hanging, you know, by mm. a thread. So, you know, you're looking at a guy whose performance dropped off 10% when his shoulder was absolutely shot shit. So if he's, you know, rehabbed it and he's back okay, yeah, no concerns. I think about 46% of fantasy coaches just breathed a collective sigh of relief just there. <laughs> he's got the NRL physio stamp of approval. So if he if he's part of the 2%, you can send him angry DMs and yeah, get a refund right. on your $5 Patreon per month. Uh, <laughs> All right. Hey, now, mate, before – yeah, you go, Ryan. I was just going to ask. I just wanted to ask about the um, you know, the dreaded injury prone tag. Um, you know, it's something that, that a lot of players have been. Too. I like it. Yeah, I've, been, I've just been really keen to chat about it. Overrated. Uh, it's, overrated. 
People really? aren't injury prone. Oh man, the, like yeah, we can keep going, but I'm just going to yell out overrated a couple of times. Okay, okay, yeah, because like Turbo was someone that had this tag, and then obviously he came back and <laughs> it looked like he'd never been injured in his life. But um, like the two players we had specifically listed were um, Sean Johnson and Braden Burns. Like I know you've talked about the um, the re-injury rate of hamstrings, and uh, Sean Johnson seems to have you know a, an injury every couple. You know, every single year, like he seems to only play about 17 games or so. But like, obviously, there's a big age difference between those two as well. Like, how much does that play into it? And obviously, you already think the injury prone tag is uh, overrated. But uh, can you expand upon that for us? Yeah. So you've brought up one player who I unfortunately, and he's like, oh, if I'm a big fan of Fatal Mariner, like SJ is just my boy. Like, like there's nothing better than watching SJ on a Saturday afternoon playing for the Warriors and Andrew Voss on the call. Like, sign me up. But <laughs> Unfortunately, he do, he does start to fall into the the field of guys who you would say are prone to injury. The reason I yell out overrated about you know about in like you know players in general being labelled as injury prone is that the connection between injuries of and and so let's take Turbo as a great example. Like he suffered a couple of hamstring injuries. I definitely would have considered him prone to hamstring injuries. But then he suffered a shoulder kind of dislocation where he landed on his elbow and everyone's going, oh my God, he's so injury prone, blah, blah, blah. And and to look at someone who's prone to injury, it, it means that there has to be some sort of way to predict that that was happening due to past events, right? There is no connection whatsoever between hamstring injuries and like a contact shoulder dislocation. It just does not exist. It's part of footy. Injuries happen. They're going to happen to certain players a few times in a row. It's totally different when you look at someone like Sean Johnson, who has, you know, I guess a really, really checkered history with lower limb muscle strains. There is something there that you can start to look at and go, there is a proneness to injury in terms of those lower limb muscle strains. If Sean Johnson goes out next year and dislocates his shoulder or fractures his wrist or something, that is not a you know piece of evidence towards him being injury prone. That is more just bad luck. You know, there's no You're connection right. to his past injuries in that space in terms of the the lower limb muscle strains and say like a, a shoulder dislocation or something like that. But if he goes okay. out and suffers another hamstring injury, it's yeah, okay, look this is probably because he is actually prone to that type of injury. So that's why it's overrated is because I feel like players who just cop these unlucky injuries that would happen to anyone, it's it's really, really cheap and just incorrect to sort of be like, oh, well, he suffered, you know, heaps of hamstring injuries in the past. Now he's got a shoulder dislocation. He's injury prone. That's not the case. Okay. But there's like, you, you think there is some sort of connection between like, say like Johnson with his like ACL, Achilles, hamstring, like that's all sort of tied together a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So those lower limb muscle strains are the, are the, and particularly hamstring calf kind of issues are the big ones that I say, once you kind of get a roll on, it's really hard to break that cycle. So I was a big one. I was all over Tommy Turbo at the start of last season purely because I saw the effort he was putting into rehab. And the reason I say that hamstrings are so tough, and we've seen guys like Matty Moylan, you know, uh, Jared Mullen a few years back, they really can struggle with hamstrings. And it's because, like, with players, whatever rehab effort you put in with an injury, any injury, hamstrings usually take about 20 30% extra to kind of get on top of them. And I think players sometimes struggle to kind 
trying to wrap their heads around that until they've suffered three or four, and then they're like, holy shit, maybe I have to do something about this. <laughs> and Turbo got it. You, you know, he went down to Melbourne, I think, to some hamstring guru and all that kind of stuff, but he was just smashing his rehab. So I was really, really confident with him heading into last season. But it's like you like some Moylan, Sean Johnson, that kind of thing. Like it was really great to hear that Moylan, you know, smashed his rehab and stuff like that last I think in the last he was training the house down or whatever, but it was it like it's almost too little, too late, right? Like he suffered too many at that point. He's yeah. you know the scar tissue, the neural sort of adaptations, that kind of thing, make it really hard. So turning someone like Braden Burns, like he's had a few like you know majorly traumatic injuries, like he had a patella tendon tear. Um, I think he's had a couple of hamstring couple issues, of that kind of thing. He had a meniscus injury in his knee. Like there, there, there is, could, you could argue there's a little bit of a connection there because there are a few soft tissue injuries. But I certainly, he's not someone like he had a pretty good season last season. I, I wouldn't put him in the same basket as someone like SJ. Like I, I'm definitely very, very hesitant picking up SJ uh, as opposed to someone like Braden Burns purely because, yeah, of that. That, you know that different type of injury that SJ has suffered, which are all pretty consistent. Cool. Yeah, and you sound like you have in our short conversation where you yelled out overrated at me on via uh, private messages. It sounds like you've got Bradman best in the in the overrated injury oh, category. Huge mate, like you, the poor bloke was running and blokes have landed on his ankle funny. Like, like how can someone be pro, like be prone to that? That just, <laughs> like, you know, if I, like it's a contact injury. It's a contact sport. I don't want to sound like, you know, Gus Gould or something like that saying, you know, these things happen, but they do. Like, these things do happen in contact sport. You get guys who suffer these contact injuries and pretty much everyone of Bradman Bess, I think he hyperextended his elbow. He's had two syndesmosis injuries from just getting like some, you know, big forward fall on his feet as he's scoring a try or something like that. Like, yeah, I, I guess he's prone to busting tackles and having guys fall off him <laughs> and accidentally fall on his ankle like that. Yeah, okay, if that's what you want to call injury prone, then good luck yeah. to you. But yeah, it, it just, it does my head in when it's like, yeah, like that, that could happen to literally anyone. It does happen to anyone. It happens to, you know, several players every year. So I like, you know, it's, he's definitely not injury prone. No. Okay. That's good, mate. That's a good, uh, mate. I just, I, I know you're a bit sort of strapped for time, but uh, obviously we've had a, a great chat and, you know, obviously we've covered off on a lot of things, but mate, I'm, I'm just before you head off, uh, obviously we had a, an injury today, uh, Jaden Braley uh, seems to, but unconfirmed, have injured his Achilles. Now, mate, I'm, I'm, what I I'm, want to try something with you is I'm actually, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but I'm a budding injury al- analysis person myself. Um, so <laughs> I want to have you a... You that. Yeah, that's a good yeah, start. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> I want to have a crack at analysing Jaden Braley's injury and you just tell me how I go. Hit me. All right. So... He's not going to be able to play without an Achilles, this um, is which is bad. Start. Yep. Yeah, it's bad for his long-term prospects for this year. I think he's going to, yeah, he's not going to be able to play without that Achilles. The, the, you nailed it. I'd like, <laughs> I, I'm, I may as well give up my job at this point uh, because yeah, I, can't, I can't do better than that. Yeah, succinct, <laughs> accurate, direct. That's what we aim for here at I the, like it. the Fantasy Amateurs. Oh. Yeah, uh, mate, uh, 
<laughs> I think that just about covers it. We had George Burgess on the list, but honestly, I don't think he's particularly fantasy relevant unless you particularly feel like talking about his hip injury. Uh, all I'd say is volatile. He's literally the first person to ever try and come back to professional rugby league from that particular surgery. So don't cool. touch him with a 10-foot yep. pole because you just don't know what's going to happen. Awesome. Love it. All right. Good stuff, mate. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. And, um, you know, we look forward to having you guest star once a week from for the rest of the season. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just sign up to the $150 tier on Patreon and we can do yeah. All your no Alex worries, 12 mate. updates on Patreon. Yeah, that's right. Oh, mate, yeah. No, good stuff. All right. Thank you very much for listening in, everybody. And, and thanks again to the NRL Physio for joining us. Make sure you go on to our website where you've got the – Link there, which will have uh, active shortly to the Patreon, and uh, you can go and support him. Obviously, he does an awesome job. Five bucks a, a month, nothing really compared to the amount of information and, and work that he puts in. And you know, the amount of times you, you send him your messages asking what's going on with Alex Twell is the least you can do. So, yeah, we'll uh, you know, hope to give him some support. And if we get enough uh, Fantasy Amateurs members in there, he, he might, uh, you know, we'll, 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 the, the future's our oyster for what we can uh, what we can do together. So, mate, thanks Absolutely, for joining guys. us and thanks to the listeners for coming in. And, um, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Too easy, boys. Good to be on.